welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Thanks again for tuning in and choosing to listen to this week's episode of A Cork in the Road, the podcast. Hope you've been enjoying the content so far and we'll keep doing it as long as people keep listening. There's a lot of stories to be told about the Atlanta wine scene and we're starting to connect with people outside of Atlanta. So hopefully we keep reaching more and more people just by doing the podcast and through wine. So today, getting to know a lot more about an incredible woman here in Atlanta who is using wine and her superpowers in wine to again bring people together. This is going to be a chat with Perrine Prieur. She is the owner of the Perrine's Wine Shop on the west side of Atlanta. She has an incredible knowledge about wine. She is someone who moved here from France and has brought her culture and her knowledge with her and she continues to work to educate and bring new wines into people's lives. I was so excited to talk to her and I think you're going to find her story absolutely inspiring. So grab some wine and please enjoy. All right, so I am here with Perrine. She's of Perrine's Wine Shop on the west side of Atlanta. Hey, Perrine. Hi, Kaleem. You are a force in the ATL wine scene. I feel this way. I think everyone mentions you on this podcast when they talk about where they shop in Atlanta, which is awesome. So I've been wanting to have you for a long time. Thanks for being here. But you're not originally from Atlanta. You're originally from Burgundy. Is that correct? In France? Correct. Yes. Did you grow up there with your family or tell me a little bit about your life growing up in France? Yes. So I grew up uh, not a fancy part of Burgundy. I was uh, born and raised in Tonnerre, which is a few minutes from Chablis. Um, so Chablis is a bit more well-known. Tonnerre, um, my family, I grew up in a farm. So very simple countryside, a farm, we had cows. My family started making wine and planted the vineyard. My, that was my dad's project, actually. And he started doing this in the early 90s. Um, so it was all uh, Tonnerre, Bourgogne Tonnerre. We don't hear too much about it. We don't really see much of that in Atlanta market. Only Domaine de Marsoif is one of them that you can see and find. So Bourgogne Tonnerre was originally pre-Philoxera, was planted and it was bigger than Chablis was. Um, but after Philoxera, you know, the farming just took over the winemaking over there. So um, Tonnerre is a small appellation, small city. It's 5,000 people. It was very boring. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, did you help with the farming and the cows? You mentioned cows specifically, which makes me think, think you did help out on the farm. Yeah, uh, I helped. I had, you know, there were no neighbors. So the only thing I had to do after school is go on a farm and and help. I mean, it was fun, you know, like feeding the little one and and chicken, rabbits, pigs, you name it, right? All of it. <laughs> that's kind of my background, and that's how I kind of connect by force to the earth and gardening and growing, growing things and all, right? That's awesome. It started really in the farm side of things for you and with your family, but were you always? interested in wine even when your family started getting into more of the grape growing was that something that started pretty young age for you so i was i was young when uh, i was like 
eight years old when we planted the first vineyard. And of course I was there as well because um, I have two older brothers and one younger sister and we were all going to help. You know, this was a family project, not just my dad project. So planted the vineyard, I was there, I had no idea. My uncle had vineyard as well, but it's table wine from like the Nieve region. It was like what we call it piquet like it's a it's very natural wine but not nothing really great with no appellation uh, but you know this took me from doing the harvest which is i think if you talk to any winemaker it's the most exciting part so that was always fun so to me like having a vineyard was the harvest he was partying with the family and friends um so that was cool and uh planting the vineyard was a little bit more of hard work of course i had to go to school i was doing this on weekend with my dad um but yes that's that was the beginning of it you know beginning of that and uh, long story short you know we we planted the vineyard after a few years you know after 10 years actually passed away um and he killed himself in the vineyard he planted i was 12 so i've always had that connection to the to the earth to the vineyard itself oh preen i'm so sorry to hear that it's okay you know it's been a long time it's always there but yes i do have a true connection so not just because we planted the vineyard not just because my dad was his project and his thing um and that's also where he decided to end his life right but it's a really cool thing you're making something you know wine is connecting people it's bringing people together it's a philosophy on how you take care of the earth and all so to me wine is not just drinking fun and yes more component to it you know it's it's supporting families all over the world and it's giving other people pleasure when we just enjoy it you have an incredible connection to the earth and thank you for sharing that story i i can't even imagine it's one of those things that probably drives you in ways that you that you still are, are discovering in terms of your connection with the place and with the vineyard. So I appreciate that so much. And I think one of the cool things about the the earth and being in the vineyard side is that you also have this connection of food and growing in a place and what the earth can give you. And I know that that has always been a big part of your life as well. And when did you start weaving kind of your love of food and wine together? So uh, very early on, I was not really good at school and you could understand why losing a parent when you're a teenager can be a little bit more challenging. School wasn't for me. And every weekend when I was coming back home, I was uh, in a boarding school originally. So every weekend when I was coming back home, I was in charge of prepping meals for the week. And uh, my mom was working very, very hard and my two older brothers were going on a farm and I was kind of being the mom at home and prepping, right? So I love cooking. It was kind of my way of um, like distressing from the week. And I was baking, I was cooking, I was doing a lot of things. And my mom always dreamed about having like a little 
restaurant. Um, so, you know, kind of wanted to make your mom proud. You kind of dream the same thing, right? And I was not good at school anyways. Um, so I decided at 16 to start a culinary school. And that's where it all started. You know, I was originally, I really thought I was going to be a chef. And, you know, that kind of was my goal. And working in a kitchen was great. I loved it. I learned a lot. Um, and then I went into the front of the house, so dining room service. And uh, one of the first internship I did, I was actually in a kitchen, but I saw that guy and he was kind of cute. So you get, you get to get attracted to the cute guy who always has a glass in his hand. I was like, I want to do this job. I want to be part of that life. Um, so I did my culinary school and I always kind of like, you know, had a connection in front of the house and the sommelier and the wine is not just what my uncle used to make <laughs> that wasn't good <laughs> there is some cool stuff there and then i started really falling in love with it and um, we had a little class you know in our culinary school we had an hour a week on wine making but it's nothing at the end of those four years of school, I did about 18 months of, um, it's called the uh, Mention en Sommellerie, which is just a sommelier school for 18 months. And I did that in Dijon. And that was super fun. And it, that's what you do five days a week. You test, you learn. We did an, an internship as well. And I was in Bordeaux for that internship. That's where I won the young best sommelier of Bordeaux. My first challenge, which was really awesome because you, you learn how to compete in that world and how to test better and such so you won best young sommelier in bordeaux yes yeah. so it was it was for the wine of that region it was uh it was a it's a small thing but uh it was fun just to be put in front of judges and you know like um serge dubs was there and serge dubs was best sommelier of the world so it was like kind of a big deal i was what 20 like right around 20 years old it was, it was pretty scary um, and after that i went to le gavroche and le gavroche in london was an amazing establishment to work in it was uh, it's kind of a dream a dream came through no everybody get in and i was lucky enough to get in by a connection we were a team of eight sommeliers so you have the chef sommelier you have the assistant sommelier and then there were some of us younger some younger than other and i learned tremendously over there we had a beautiful wine list to work with over 2000 wine selection all like 95 percent of the list was french so that can give you an idea of the deepness of of the vintages like drc lineup aubryon vertical and you know we were not just looking at the wine list we were opening the bottle so you had moved on from your family's farm and now you were among these unicorn wines of the world what were you doing and what were the types of customers that you were working with at this restaurant my, my role was uh, we were having service lunch and dinner and we were working six days a week. The lunch service, we had a little uh, by the glass program, you know, to pair with the menu. Um, it was pretty straightforward, but we still had a really big bottle of wine to open at lunch. So we had kind of a station of five table, you know, and everything, the, the service was ironed. White tablecloth, we 
as server, as sommelier, never touch the customer table. Uh, we were having our little guéridon. So you had your little guéridon, you come in front of the table, you decant almost everything, carafe, decant, um, champagne service. We had to decant some certain type of champagne as well. It, it's crazy type of level. And sommelier, we had an aperitif cart, we had a port cart that we come and after dinner, digestive and such. So we, we had a lot of things and we were pouring the water as well. So sommelier pour water in the restaurant. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty amazing. And like the restaurant was always packed, you know, we always had like over 120 cover at dinner and our clients were, um, you know, some, some foodies like you and I today. I think we could afford it now. At the time I could not afford going out to a fine dining restaurant. And some of our customers were from, you know, Northern Africa, like Dubai, like some, I, I, I serve actually Gordon Ramsay over there. He was a, he was a frequent customer there. And he's that he doesn't, as a customer, he's definitely, you no, know, a super sweet guy. Um, and I was a virgin. Like I, most of those people, I didn't even know who they were. It's amazing. You were in the heart of like, high-end food and wine and hospitality dining service and you were able to kind of see it whether you were involved in all aspects it sounds like you just had a really great view on what that looks like when it's all put together yeah and we we were as a sommelier you know like over there our task we we show up at the restaurant every day at eight o'clock polishes all the glasses team all of them you know uh, working in the cellar it was my favorite part reorganizing the cellar looking at inventory making sure everything goes we had the main uh, wine cellar in a restaurant but outside it was kind of underground we had like seven little room outside that were temperature controlled that we needed to bring to the main cellar. So when you had order during service, you did not have to go to those cellar outdoor, right? So that was also a service and the program was like 3 million. It was insane. It's still one of the best wine lists of England for sure. What an incredible experience for you, especially like really that path of wine and deciding that that's where you like to be rather than in the kitchen side of things. And you were really being able to put all of that to the test. Do you feel that you used a lot of your formal education in that role or were you learning a lot on the fly? I knew a lot. The school I went really gets you ready to be able, you know, to work in as far as knowledge and appellation and such, right? But no, you learn and I'm still learning on as far as wine. And again, you know, this restaurant was really focused on French wine. This was a much more bring the wine and explain the wine to the customer uh, and mostly serve it. It was, it was mostly about serving the wine at its optimum capacity. So decanting it, testing it like, and we had to test every single bottle we opened, make sure there wasn't cork or something was wrong. And we decided as a sommelier to decant or not. And in between each other, you know, we, we pour a little bit, but it's crazy what a little pour can do because we blind test each other. It's like, okay, what is this? What is this? What year? What there? And on the fly, you blind test constantly. I really do miss being on track and being like 100% constantly. But it was also a very stressful environment to always be like customer service. Like, you know, you could not drop a, a drop of wine on a white tablecloth. 
Yeah. Oh, I can only imagine the the precise movement that you made every day to provide that level of service. That's very intense. It was. It was. I'm glad I did it. I miss it, but I'm also glad I don't just do that today. It's so great, but it trained you and prepped you in so many ways. So then this is incredible. I love that you've had such a vast experience in training and, and on the farm to a very high-end restaurant experience. So then, flash forward, what brought you to Atlanta? Because you have created a name and you, people know you from the industry side of things all over here in Atlanta, Georgia. So what brought you here? Was it wine? Uh, yeah, it was wine, actually. Um, I moved here um, after that experience in London at Le Gavroche, um, came back to France, and my idea was, oh, I'm, I'm going to open a restaurant in Burgundy. That was the idea. And <laughs> after a month there, I was like, oh, hell no. I cannot <laughs> stay there. I'm 22 years old. I, I, I cannot be here. Like London was, you know, even though I did not experience London because I was working, overworking. I was like, I need to perfect my English because we were working with a lot of French sommelier and I'm like, I really need to perfect my English. British accent was very hard for me. <laughs> it, was, it was very hard to understand. And uh, I looked for a job and uh, Joel Restaurant at the time were looking for a sommelier. So we did interview over the phone and uh, I had really no idea. I was really ignorant. It's for me everything. It's like US, everything is like New York. And I showed up here and I was like, where is the subway? where is do I need a car like why is everything so spread but yeah no I work at Joel and that was a totally new adventure for me uh, the first time I tested a Pinot from um, Sonoma I thought it was a Syrah so my palate was shocked I was like oh my gosh I have so much more to learn and I was supposed to stay here 18 months and they sponsored me for the green card I worked at Joel for four years and then I felt like it was my time to start my own thing. Um, I thought about opening a restaurant, but the wine shop seems to be like a really good thing. There were a few uh, wine shop, like boutique wine shop, you know, but my first experience was going to the liquor store and see a van back on the floor of the shelf with dust on it. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I'm definitely buying this. <laughs> it may have been here for two years. I don't know. I was like, oh, we need to, we, I, I need to bring my knowledge or something. In uh, France, if you go to France, there is all those little wine boutiques called Nicolas. And they're like tiny, really good, and a lot of knowledge. And I was like, oh, I can, I want to have a little Nicolas, you know. I want to do something that's small and, and more approachable. And I definitely wanted to do the wine tastings in store. So I opened a little wine shop on the west side, and I was very lucky. And I think this is where my dad comes back, you know. It's my little star that, that showed me the way. And... That's where it's at, you know? <laughs> That's such a beautiful way to think about it, Priya. And you've taken something very hard in your life and you've incorporated it in such a beautiful way. It's really exciting to hear that, that you saw that there was a gap in the Atlanta market. I love that you get off uh, the plane and you're like, where's the subway? <laughs> like, we still have that issue, don't worry. Um, <laughs> where is that? Um, but you were able to say, no, I'm not going to let the differences stop me from bringing inspiration from 
my culture and what I think people would enjoy to access wine in a different way. So what were some of the first differences that you noticed in the wine scene? When you first opened the shop, how did you decide what to put on the shelf that you didn't see at other places? So, you know, when I opened the shop, I did not want to do just French wine. You know, in France, we're very, like in Burgundy, you drink Burgundy. In Bordeaux, you drink Bordeaux, and that's where it's at. And I really enjoy, you know, like the first wine that made me fell in love with California wine was Mary Edward Sauvignon Blanc. I was blind tested on it, and I really thought it was like one of the Henri Bourgeois wine from Le Bon Dame, or the, you know, he had such a beautiful richness. And after knowing what grapes she used, I'm like, oh, okay, makes sense. There is beautiful wine made everywhere. And I was, uh, I didn't know anything about Spanish. I didn't barely know anything about Italian, you know, just the basic, Piedmont and Toscani, everything else, I don't know, like Slovenian. And so I really did not want to stay into the French portion. I was advised by many to do just French wine, but I'm like, no, I, I really, I don't want to get bored. I, I want to keep going and learning too, you know? So my idea about bringing things on the shelf, you know, we test everything. I tested everything at the time and I still test everything with the team. We, we bring wine that are uh, culture raisonné at least. So that means like people are family owned, they care about what they're doing. There is no industrial wine or cooperative. If there is cooperative, which sometime, time to time, I have like, oh, this is a really good co cooperative wine. But that's uh, becoming a lot more popular even in France in terms of the quality increasing among the cooperatives. Is that correct? Since even probably yeah. since you've lived there? Honestly, like in the 70s, like there were a movement where in France, in Europe, we were all put to use herbicide, uh, pesticide, and this, you're just going to produce more, you know, and they were selling this to winemaker being like, it's just going to be better and you're going to have to work less harder. What do you say? You say, yes, you try it. And then they realized that it wasn't that good for the earth and all. So in the 90s, that movement all changed. And now they're a lot more open to working organically, biodynamically. There is something new that just showed up. In France, there is a new label that's called Vin Méthode Naturelle. In March, and I was like, I'm so surprised because French is such a rigid system about the appellation and all. Uh, then I'm like, yeah, so it's progressing in that way, you know, everyone wants to drink better made wine and that's kind of what the shop is all about, you know. My idea was just to bring those small producers, you know, those small family and that is who I'm connected to as well, you know, growing in a farm, farming, having done harvest, that's, that's who I believe in and that's who I want to put in advance in my shop. Beautiful that you're doing that here in Atlanta. We're so lucky to have someone like you. Do you remember the first day that you opened the doors to the shop? I do remember the, the first day I opened the shop. I could not forget. The first month, you know, everything started coming to life where uh, I'm, I'm, I stained all the shelf. I, I, I did my curtain. I had no money to spend on interior designer. But I had the dream. I had the vision. I, I wanted the shop versus having like those dark, 
wine cellar, you know. I, I wanted something fresh and welcoming. That's why it's white and it's gray. And those are color patterns that I like even for my house. I still love going in a shop, even though now there is boxes all over the floor. And but you really put your, your aesthetic into the shop because it's a place you wanted to be and invite the Atlanta community to come and learn about wine with you. When did you start adding the events and tastings to the wine shops program? We've did it fairly soon. Like my grand opening was a testing. I remember one of the first person that came in was actually Mary Edwards. Uh, no way, full circle for you. That was fairly on because I opened in August and I think she was there in September of 2010. So it was, a, and it was kind of a new thing in the Atlanta market at the time. You know, now there is a lot more boutique shop like mine and a lot of more people doing blind tasting or like wine tasting in general which you know like it's 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 amazing and we need it it's just so good to see that this is what atlanta is going for you know that's the that's really the best today you know? It's exciting to hear you say that. I think it's important to point out that that wasn't that long ago in terms of you saying 2010 that there weren't boutique wine shops. And then we flash forward to Atlanta now and the wine scene is full of so many opportunities for education and for meeting winemakers and learning with other industry professionals. Like it has changed and it's changed quickly. And I'm glad to hear you say that from even the retail side of things. I think that's amazing. And you do have winemakers visit. I do want to point out that you have some of the most fun events on your calendar. I know right now it's on pause given our quarantine situation, but you have been also probably the quickest that I've seen to pivot to still be able to offer winemaker interaction through a virtual world. I have loved your blind tastings that you've done. You're hosting some luncheons with people in Chablis and like you have really created that. So tell me where this came from to continue to bring the winemaker presence to your business. Well, I think, you know, it's, I miss, I miss it. I miss, uh, even though sometimes I'm tired, you know, of having like testing a weekly and like organizing them because it's a lot. It doesn't look like it, but it's a lot of organization through it. And honestly, those Zoom meetings are just really fun and, and it's less pressure too. You know, it's almost easier to organize. Um, so I, I actually had a little lunch in with uh, Jeremy Sess uh, from Domaine Dujac right before this, which it's almost unfortunate because we only had like 20 people on, but I'm like, guys, it's just, you should just sign it just to listen to what he has to say, share his story. And, and I almost like it better than having the wine tasting at the shop or wine tasting at the shop almost started being too crowded. Uh, so we start doing two, two style, you know, like, like the, the walk-in where we don't necessarily have a winemaker. And now when we have a winemaker, we'll do a seated, more like a seminar, like more interaction with him. So he can talk and doesn't have to repeat. And I think there is always so much to learn, you know? It's easy to just step back and be like, okay, well, we're just gonna wait and sell whatever we sell. But I feel like I'm thirsty for more knowledge. And it's like, I wanna, I wanna bring new cool stuff, you know? I, want, I wanna be the one who do something cool that like people will talk about and then someone else wants to bring another cool idea and I'm like you know there is a lot of great wine shop in the city and I think 
every one of us is trying to bring something new, something, you know, to entertain our customer. And we love what we do. Otherwise, I don't think we will work as hard on it. And my husband sometimes complain about it. It's like, can we just, can you just chill? I mean, this week I had five events. It's like, can you just relax? And I'm like, but if I don't do anything, I feel like I'm wasting time. <laughs> and you have such a genuine love for connecting with people through your wine business. Like, I think that's what I've realized in this time of really relying more on virtual communication that the wine, I love the wine. The wine, the beverage itself is fantastic. But what I love just as much is how it connects me with people and how that interaction takes me to places, um, whether it's actually traveling or virtually hearing someone's story. So you're still working really hard and you should continue because it's so great and it provides a really good outlet for people right now. Yeah, we need it. <laughs> it's worth it and keep the wine flowing too, obviously. Yes. But speaking of you always wanting to keep learning more, you obviously have a love for the academic side of the wine industry. What regions are you excited about people discovering right now? I think for me, like a lot of people always think I'm French, so I'm French wine and that's probably all I'm drinking, but that's not true. Um, um, I love Portuguese wine now. I don't know, there is just too much, you know. Uh, yeah, Portuguese wine is really something that I'm amazed. Have you been to Portugal? Did you get to I, travel there? I got to go five years ago quickly and I honestly would like to go back and I think maybe next year we'll probably go with the family there. Yeah. I've heard such good things. I've personally never been but in my wine background, my wine journey, at some point I was working very closely with the grape Tariga Nacional and I was fascinated as I'd read about the chemistry side of things and how it's grown and the viticulture of Tariga obviously took me to Portugal. So I have been dreaming of going there. It's, it's gorgeous. It's really beautiful. <laughs> and I feel like every time I've been on a wine trip, I also was lucky to go in South Africa and South Africa, like you will have asked me that question five years ago. I will have probably tell you South Africa is the place I love, but now on yeah, Portugal. Portugal, definitely. And every time I come back from a trip like that, I'm like, I just want to move. I don't, I don't want to leave here. I just want to move. I've been uh, thinking about that a lot. Like, <laughs> I, I love going to wine places and it's very hard for me to leave them because when you go to a wine place and you're with the people and the oh. food and the, the scenery in a place that grows grapes, it's usually beautiful. And so much connection with the people. On that trip to Portugal, you know, I, I met Luis Sebra, which makes amazing Albarino and it is is just like a king like he, he changed my mind about white wine of Portugal and those are the kind of things that you have by meeting the people and going to the place those epiphany moments which are fantastic I love that do you have any advice because you've you've obviously had a lot of experience in different settings and different educational opportunities what's your advice to a young aspiring atlanta sommelier uh, or someone interested in wine who hasn't even stepped foot in the psalm world yet what's your advice to someone to start expanding their wine education i think you don't want to expand too much until you know the basic I, i'm only saying this because I was lucky to be able to go to school where I had a trained sommelier that just teaches the basic one by one and break it down. I do a little bit on online classes too now. And the reason why I'm starting with France is because France has kind of that basic layer, you know, and then you build over it. It's great to start drinking natural wine. 
but I think it's important to know first what a Pinot Noir from a certain region should taste like. Then you can appreciate the thing that have been made a little bit more outside the box. That's kind of my, uh, my view on it. I absolutely agree with you. I think you have to set that foundation. And it almost is this foundation that lets you understand anything outside of that foundation to a profound degree. Like you understand why it's different or why it might taste a certain way that's outside of that box. And I think that's really important to have that base level. That's great advice. Because, you know, like testing a wine with indigenous yeast, like if you've only tested this, that was not a classic way at the time. Today, there is like natural and filter wine, but this was not done 50 years ago. I, I just think the foundation is one and then you can appreciate the effort of other winemakers doing other things. It's, it's fun to hear you say that from a, it makes sense from a scientific academic background to get your basics to then build onto other levels from there. I love that. That's fantastic. And I think the best way to do it is to come and do tastings at your shop and buy wine from you, right? That's another piece of it. That's, that's another piece. You know, you can meet the winemaker, you can learn more by doing it for sure. What I love about the shop that you even said you designed it this way is to be welcoming and be bright and you probably have sometimes people walk in and they might tell you, this is the first time I've ever set foot in a small wine shop and you want them to find something they enjoy. You also are welcoming a lot of wine professionals and collaborating with them. So it's really neat how you've set up a place that any level of wine knowledge, any preconceived ideas, whatever, leave them at the door, come in and learn with you and have fun. And I think that's like what you want out of a local wine shop. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the idea, you know, like, otherwise I will have opened another liquor store. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a liquor store, but what we really wanted to do is create more of a community. And You're doing a great job navigating the Atlanta wine scene, though. And you're leading the way, Preen. I think it's so beautiful to hear you say that you enjoy learning every day and you enjoy navigating all those challenges because at some point you've still found to be very successful in what you do and I appreciate that and I just want to let everybody know where they can find out about your events and what's the best way to reach you social media I know you have a great presence there website newsletter what's the best way so uh, on our website we're working on putting all all wine online as well and on our website you can sign up to the newsletter. Every email that we send, we usually have an Instagram post as well. So just like check us daily on Instagram and the website. And Stay connected when we all want ways to be connected. You're doing such a great job and I appreciate you sharing your wine journey with us. Thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to come and cheers with you, but until then, I'm going to keep calling you and asking you to pick out wines for me to buy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the surprise pack from Perrine's is my favorite. Thank you so much for your time today and cheers to you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. This is Kelly signing off. Until next time, when we share stories of people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry and the wine world beyond. If you want more adventures with us, check us out online and on Instagram at a cork in the road and you can also visit our website www.acorkintheroad.com for all kinds of updates and to sign up for our monthly newsletter cheers and take care